Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. I want to read from Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. We read, as soon as it was night, uh, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I love their fact-checking Paul. I mean, it's Paul, the, 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 the author of so many books in the New Testament and, and champion of faith. But the Bereans understood that if Paul's not lining up with Scripture, then, then don't listen to Paul. And they were commended for this. One of the principles behind the restoration movement of churches is the phrase, where the Bible speaks, we speak, and where the Bible is silent, we are silent. That's an important phrase. We, we use phrase. Well, let's take even. There is, there's a reason I don't usually mention restoration movement. That's what we call our churches, but it's kind of an informal calling. It's not on our sign because it's not a name in the Bible that it says that we should call. We, need, we, we use that phrase because the goal is to restore New Testament Christianity. And so it's a good phrase, but it's not a test of fellowship because. We want to speak where the Bible speaks. We want to be silent where the Bible is silent. Um, If it's in the Bible, we want to take a stand on it. It's not optional if it's in the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, it is optional. And, And we shouldn't enforce our opinions. Now, let me be clear. Opinions are okay. Um... Let me, let me give an example. The Bible is very clear on baptism. And we'll hit that later in this sermon. Uh, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is not optional. We're all called to repent and be baptized so that we may have our sins forgiven and be given the Holy Spirit. That's just not up, up for debate. Now, there are a lot of things that I think are matters of opinion. I think tithing is great. I do. I think it keeps the lights on. I think it's a good spiritual practice. In the Old Testament, it's a command. It's not a command in the New Testament. But I think it's a good thing. And I'm happy to say that I think it's a good thing. I just don't see it as a command. I like church membership. I like to know who's in. I like to know who who have committed themselves to saying, this is my church and you can count on me. Church membership is not a thing in the Bible. I think it's good. And I think there's nothing wrong with churches saying we have church membership and this is our policy for what members can do in the church as opposed to non-members can do. But it's not a test of fellowship. Different churches can interpret that different ways. Um, Weekly communion. The Bible doesn't say we have to do it weekly. It says as often as you do this, this is how you're supposed to do it. And I can go to an example of a church in the New Testament that did it weekly. And I think that since that's our example of a church in the New Testament, I think that's a good thing. But the Bible never comes out and says you have to do it weekly. I just think it's a good idea. And again, churches can set a policy for that. We're going to serve it weekly. But I think that tithing, membership, weekly communion are not the same as, like, say, baptism, where we, have, we are told this is the purpose of baptism, and if you're going to follow Christ, this is how it's done. 
Some churches insist on calling things that aren't biblical and saying this is, this is biblical and you have to do it our way or, or, or you're wrong. And the worst part is some churches make, opin- make opinions mandatory and then take the things that the Bible says and say, and this is optional. And that's just backwards. What we want to do with the First Church of Christ uh, is to be a New Testament church, to be a biblical church. And so that's my back, backdrop for, and we're going to do these occasionally as we go through the next few weeks. The, these phrases, speak where the Bible speaks, silent where the Bible is silent. We're going we're to hit these kind of key phrases of the restoration movement and use these as a window to study scripture and just cover the basics. As I said, this, for the first part of this year, we're just coming, covering basic doctrines that sometimes we're, we just assume everybody knows, and I think that's a terrible idea. And so today, as an, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I want to say, wow, this was not, always, this was not the easiest of sermons to write. Um, I didn't realize kind of what it was turning into. For me, there was some catching up to do on this. I think within the Christian churches and churches of Christ, I think there's this fear of talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, if we talk about him too much, we might seem charismatic or Pentecostal. And we don't want to do that, right? We don't want to be associated with that. And so then there's this so so then we we overcorrect the other direction. I would I would remind us that we are one of our phrases, we are not the only Christians. We are Christians only. Uh, we will have disagreements with other churches on how to interpret scriptural passages that talk about the Holy Spirit. So we have this fear of speaking where the Bible doesn't speak. But then in, if we overcorrect, then we dodge what the Bible really does say on the subject. Let me say, when I was growing up, we didn't talk a whole lot about what the Holy Spirit was up to in the church. Now, some of that could have been, not, my, my, my dad always listens, we, we record the sermons, and my dad always listens to them. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to be the first to say, some of that may have just been because I was a kid, and I was in Sunday school, and I was in, sometimes in, in uh, Maybe in dad's Sunday school classes, there was more talk about that. I think the Holy Spirit is a a tricky subject to preach on, as you'll see today. Um, But let me also say that when I graduated Bible college, I'm not sure that I knew a whole lot more about him. Um, One of my professors in college, Dr. Kirka, did say, uh, Robert Kirka said, the fear of the Holy Spirit is that we dodge him so much in the restoration movement for fear of being... Uh, holy roller, Pentecostal, charismatic, t- not taken seriously, that then we become, and he used the phrase, binitarian. Father, son, and done. <laughs> um, and, and, and that, you know, we, we, you know, Trinitarian is not a phrase that's used in the Bible, but I think, again, I think it's a good phrase. I don't want to insist upon the phrasing because the word doesn't appear in the Bible, but we do see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. And we'll talk about that today. But in fear of dodging the Holy Spirit, we become father, son, and done. And that's not healthy nor biblical. So today, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, get to know him better. And there's a lot of scripture, but, but don't be, if you're looking at your outline and saying we're going to be here till 2, no, we're going to hit these running pretty quickly. Um, and so, John chapter four. We're going to look. We're going to look really at, at only about four major passages, and and because the passages are long, we're going to kind of skip through some of them, hit the key verses, move ahead a few verses. John chapter fourteen. 
I will say that John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus' conversation with his disciples, his teaching at the Last Supper, his last words to his disciples, effectively, uh, there's a lot in John 14, 15, 16. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Stop with that. The first thing we learn from Jesus is that when the Spirit is with us, God is with us. And we see this in Scripture. This is one of the reasons that we teach the Trinity. Not a biblical word, but a biblical concept. And he is a spirit of truth. He always knows the truth. He always discerns the truth and helps us discern the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that people can't lie to us. He's not a lie detector. But we come to know the spiritual truths of God because he is in our lives. Right, and I want to say, right out of the gate, You'll notice that I keep saying he. The Bible goes out of its way to, ta- to, to, to teach us that. That sounds like it may be a little thing. A lot of people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. <laughs> and treat the Holy Spirit kind of like the force in Star Wars. It's just this vague, nebulous concept of power. The word ruach is a Hebrew word that means spirit. It's normal. Other languages have masculine and feminine nouns. In German... Pencils are female, uh, uh, pens are masculine. Most languages do this male-female concept within their nouns. English is rare that it doesn't. And if you haven't studied other languages, that may seem almost silly to us speaking English. But to the rest of the world, it's kind of crazy that, that, that we don't do that. Hebrew and Greek were both languages like this that had male and female nouns. The Bible goes out of its way that, that, that ruach is a feminine noun, but when talking about the Holy Spirit uses masculine pronouns. So the Bible goes out of the way to make sure that we get that the Holy Spirit is he. Um, He is not an impersonal force. I had to work through that. Growing up, I just kind of, he didn't have, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and then Spirit seemed more nebulous. And I've had to work through that. You may be as well. Um, He is God. And so, moving on, in the same chapter, we skip forward to verse 25. Jesus says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And so we see that the Holy Spirit teaches us. Now, again, I don't think you're going to audibly hear his voice, discover if he's a tenor or a bass. or, or uh, It's not that easy. And he doesn't teach geometry or auto repair. I would love it if he taught auto repair. We'd all save money. But that's not how he teaches us. What he teaches us is about God through Scripture. Um, And so I understand that a Christian's education is guided by the Holy Spirit. It is not a waste of time to come to Sunday school, to come to church. Um, I want to emphasize that we have a good Sunday school program, and I'm glad that we have it. 
I believe that there's a difference between preaching and teaching. I think teaching is what you should know and preaching is what you should do. In uh, Gross generalization, but I don't think that they're the same. Uh, and I think that teaching, we learn the facts that we need to back up our faith so that when we get exhorted in sermons and told, go and do this, go and be this, we've got the knowledge to back it up. And I think that the knowledge works because the Spirit makes sure that as we read the Bible, we're getting it. And, and not always right away. Uh, uh, I appreciate some of the great writers, Thomas Aquinas, great Christian writer that said, eventually I got there. He said, he described himself as a dumb ox. He said, but the advantage of a dumb ox is that the ox gets there eventually. <laughs> and I appreciate that humility that he had, that he said, I eventually, you know, and I don't think it was arrogant for him to say, I got there eventually. And history remembers him as one of the greatest Christian scholars that we had. And I appreciate, and I don't think that that's arrogance because what he's saying is the spirit got me there. If he couldn't say that, then the Spirit couldn't be counted on. But I believe that the Holy Spirit makes sure that as we study our way through Scripture, we'll get there. And I, and I truly believe that. He jogs our memory when we need it scripturally. He helps us recall what we've studied and learned of God. He is not an excuse, therefore, to not go to church, because I think he backs up our studies. That doesn't mean that you should, don't have to read your Bible, or you only read it once. Uh, I went to Sunday school three times, I'm done. You know, I, he backs up what we're doing in our own efforts, that our efforts are not wasted. Um, uh, doesn't, doesn't mean that you will know every question ever given to you. You know, people still stump me on the Bible at times, uh, absolutely. But I'm getting more than I would have without him on my own, and bit by bit I'm getting further. And it will be the same for you. And so we skip to the next chapter, John chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. (coughs) Spirit is a witness. Spirit is a witness. He testifies about God. Now we're going to ask, who does he testify to? To me or to other people? And my response is, yes, both. Absolutely. Um, To me, to us, when those doubts kick in, and everybody has doubts. If you don't have doubts, you're not thinking. (laughs) When when the doubts kick in and you think, maybe did I make this up? Is this fantasy? Because Satan will try to put doubts in your head. It's the spirit that counters that and reminds us, no, I'm not making this up. I've seen what God is doing in the world. I've seen what the spirit is doing in my life. I know what I read. I know of the truth. The Spirit witnesses to us and reminds us of the gospel. And then he's also the one who guides non-Christians, we were there once, non-Christians to come to God. Um, Absolutely, the Spirit works in the life. We teach because the Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, when you are baptized, the Spirit comes in you. But that doesn't mean that the Spirit isn't working in other people's lives to come to that point. I guess the difference, I've used the example, I don't mean it to be crass, it's the difference between dating and marriage. Um, Pam and I would go on dates, and then I would kiss her goodnight, and she would go home. I'd drop her off, and I'd go back to my house, because that's what you do when you're dating. But when we got married, we moved in together. The Holy Spirit is working in the lives of non-Christians to bring them to him, because he wants to dwell in them forever. 
And so the Holy Spirit is working to bring non-Christians to them. Absolutely, he is witnessing to them. We need to do our part too because people don't realize what the Spirit is doing unless we're using audible words. And so we witness and he helps us witness. The Bible says that the Spirit proceeds and goes out from God and testifies about the Christ. He is a witness. And so look with me in chapter 16, verse 5. This is our longer, longer and big passage. There's a lot in this passage. Jesus says, now I'm going to him who sent me. And yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men don't believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Uh, That is a deep passage. That is a passage that takes a lot of reading. So much of it goes over our head. And and multiple times through the years as we study it, it starts to kick in a bit. There's a lot here. One thing that we learn, the Holy Spirit is so great that it was good that Jesus died. Jesus died in part so that the Spirit could come into our lives. It's what he says. It is worth Christ's death to have the Holy Spirit living within us. That's a big deal. He convicts the world of guilt. Satan continues to confuse people uh, that wrong is right. And that right is wrong. And, and that, is a, and incre- that, that has not been getting better through the, through the world and through the years. That is getting worse. You know, there's this big talk on, on about disinformation. That really kicked in in 2020. Um, and, and this real conversation about misinformation on, on social media, Facebook and the internet and Twitter and, and TikTok and all those things. And it's true. Back in the day... Uh, not everybody had access to the ability to just put stuff out there and everybody could read it. You know, th- there were only a few people on TV and a few people uh, getting published in books and newspapers. And, and there was a vetting process. But you can put anything on the internet right now. And it can be the most bold-faced lie ever. And you can throw it out there. And a lot of it just stays up there. Um, absolutely misinformation is, is a thing. Um, I think Satan loves that. And I think spiritually, that's absolutely the case now. That there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, Satan loves that. The Spirit helps, con- uh, helps, helps keep that in check. Helps defeat that. You know, we can't on our own change people's minds, bring people to God. Not on our own. But the Spirit can convict people of sin and of righteousness. He speaks what God wants him to speak, and sometimes he even reveals the Father to people. And I'm sorry, the future. 
Sometimes he even reveals the future. I think that that's a rare... uh, uh, A lot of people think that prophets see the future. Prophets tell people what God wants them to know in the Bible. A lot of times the prophets just said, stop sinning. Because that's what God wanted them to hear. Um, Sometimes the prophets told the people what was coming up. Now, how does that work? If the Spirit's in us, are we prophets? I I didn't get all my scriptures uh, uh, entered in. Uh, there's one that I want to read from, from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Peter tells us, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, scripture is God-breathed. And that's one of the ways that the Spirit speaks to us. I don't think we hear him the way that prophets did in the Old Testament. You know, Samuel the prophet as a boy lying on the temple floor and he hears God. We read that this morning in my Sunday school class. God literally stood, (laughs) said God stood uh, in in the temple and said Samuel. Um, And Samuel audibly heard the voice. God doesn't speak to us that way. That that may have been how prophets heard him. Um, How does God speak to us? Absolutely, Peter tells us through Scripture. Um, that's how the Spirit speaks to us. Jesus says that this glorifies him by making known to us what belongs to him, to Jesus. Man, Christians have it the best. I, I would not go back and live in the days of the Old Testament. No air conditioning and so many other wonderful inventions that we have now that they didn't have back then. Absolutely true. Lower life expectancy. But the big thing is, when we become Christians, the Spirit dwells within us. And that wasn't a thing back then. Um, Christians have it so good. Because of the Holy Spirit, we have an insight into the mind of God. Now, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And, and I just want to read that and leave it alone. We're going to come back to that one down the road in a future sermon. Um, there's a lot there. I just want to, want to just read it, file it away. The Spirit allowed them on that day to speak in other languages when it filled them. And again, that's the beginning of Acts. Jesus has just died. Okay, but, but it sets up the chapter. And so we, we skip ahead to verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. 
and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the point. Joel prophesied that the day of the Lord would be marked by the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament day of the Lord is used differently. The conquest, the, 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 coming, the, the, the conquest of the Assyrians, the conquest of the Babylonians, release from the Persians, the coming of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the coming of the church, the end of the age. All of these day of the Lord can refer to that. In Joel's case, Peter lets us know. Joel was talking about the founding of the church. Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes and said, this is that day. Um, the Holy Spirit comes upon the people, not just one or two people, but upon everyone, male, female, Jew, Gentile, which was nothing like everything that happened before. This was not, I mean, we, we take it for granted, we become Christians, we get the Holy Spirit. That had never, never happened. The day of the Lord came with Christ and his church. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and the Holy Spirit is the proof of that. Now, we, in the Old Testament, there's a point where the Holy Spirit comes upon King Saul and Saul starts to prophesy. And all the people say, when did he become a prophet? Because the Holy Spirit only came on prophets. And for Saul, for people to clearly see the Holy Spirit's on Saul, it's a big deal. King Saul's a prophet now? We don't say that today. Why? Because everybody, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, but they didn't back then. Now Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. God is not just for Israel, not just for prophets. He's for all of us. And this is an example to the world. And so skip to to the end of the chapter, verse 37, or closer to the end of the chapter. Actually, I don't have this up here, but I'm going to backtrack and get verse 36 because 37 doesn't make a lot of sense without it. Peter says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. So how do we get the Holy Spirit in our lives? We just read it. This is how the church was found. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. People try to take this apart. Well, repent and be baptized and, and, and you'll get the forgiveness of sins and gift of the Holy Spirit. So this one goes with this and this one goes with this. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't take it apart. That, that's, that's ridiculous. Repent and be baptized to be forgiven of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's linked with baptism. Another scripture I didn't get, get in on the screen, I don't believe. But let me... Let me um, let me, let, me, let me look with you at Acts, uh, if, if you'll bear with me. Acts chapter 19. And I want to read the link. I think we see the link in Acts chapter 19. <coughs> While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And so he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. 
And so Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Why would you ask that? Because baptism and the Holy Spirit are linked. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Well, Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Remember, repentance is good, but it's not, there's more to it than that. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in languages and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. What's the Holy Spirit doing in your life? What Holy Spirit? What baptism? They're linked. We can't can't separate that. Baptism and the Holy Spirit are linked. Um, Acts chapter 5. I want to look back at Acts chapter 5. Verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. For those that didn't get... He sold property. He pretended he was giving all the money to the church. We see that for, as we read further. Pretended he was giving all, lied. Said it, this was all the property of the land, uh, all the cost of the land. Kept some to himself. And Peter said, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to give any to the church. But don't lie. But Peter says, first he says you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he says you lied to God. And what we see from this passage is just the simple truth that the Father and the Son, we saw that back in John Chapter 14 through 16, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. I'm not saying that they're the same. I'm not saying that they're entirely interchangeable. But to lie to one is to lie to the other. That Trinitarian concept that we believe in one God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Scripture shows us that. Okay, Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if, the spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Once again, there's a lot there. A life controlled by the Spirit brings life instead of death, spiritual, eternal life. It brings freedom from sin and death. It fills fills our lives with peace. This is what we want. In this crazy world of chaos and death, the Spirit lets us live with peaceful assurance of hope that we know where we're going when this is over. The sp- and, and we have peace even now. The Spirit is the one who guarantees us our resurrection. If we have him, we have eternity. We know this. And the Holy Spirit is why we can get rid of sin. If I, if I could give up sin on my own, I wouldn't need Jesus. But I can't give up sin on my own. The Holy Spirit is the one perfecting me. With his Spirit, I'm slowly being made perfect. It's a lifetime process. doesn't happen overnight, and that's okay. The journey itself is a joy. Uh, But he does more than grant us eternity. He's the proof of our adoption as sons and daughters. Um, It's not just that God gives us eternity. It's nice that we get to live in heaven, but we get to live in heaven as princes and princesses, sons and daughters of God. That's amazing. And so we, we we look further in the chapter at verse 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. When we can't phrase it before God, we just can't put it into words, it's okay. Holy Spirit gets us. He knows what we want even if we can't put it into words. He listens to us. He communicates on our behalf to God If we think that God won't hear or won't listen, we're wrong. The Spirit takes our prayers to God. Um, He understands us. He's our our personal hotline. You know I'm going to make the example. He's our bat phone. You know that Commissioner Gordon had that phone that only called Batman. Um, That red phone that only had the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm a nerd. The Holy Spirit is the bat phone. He's our personal connection to God um, every time. Direct connection. I want to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are many... There are, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God who works all of them in all men. We see that Trinity concept of Spirit, Lord Jesus, and God here. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. And to another, speaking in different kinds of languages. And to still another, the interpretation of languages. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Okay, so spiritual gifts, the word for gift is charisma. It's a Greek word. It means gifted. 
Um, and it deserves its own sermon on, on, its, on its own down the road. Churches disagree on the interpretation of this passage. I get it. But let me say this much this morning. One thing that we read, the gifts of the Spirit are given by the Spirit for His glory. He allows us to praise God. He equips His church with gifts that give glory to God. Um, the Spirit equips the church with gifts that the church needs. But he's in charge of it, and he's the one that gives the gifts. Not everybody has these gifts. I think that's pretty clear. Not everybody gets all these gifts. And so you might ask me, what about churches that claim that everybody should speak in, in tongues, in, in, in foreign languages? Well, the gifts of the Spirit are a wonderful thing. Some might seem very mighty, some might seem very low-key, low but they're in his hands. Don't insist on claiming that you can distribute or that you have what it's in the hands of the Spirit to distribute. Um, he gives as he desires. It's not a test of fellowship. Um, the purpose of the gifts is to build up the church, not to build me up, not to make me seem important or to get attention for me. The Spirit is in charge. I want to leave it in his hands. I want him to lead the church. It's his church, not ours. And we want to be a Spirit-led church. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 337. What we read... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't done that, let's talk after church. Uh, If you've been from a different church, you might have not heard it phrased that way, but that's the biblical phrasing on how to be forgiven and to get the gift of the Spirit, and that matters. If you want to have a conversation after church, let's, let's do that. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.